Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. Support comes from Big Y World Class Market, committed to the community with 80 years of service to New England families. Big Y's commitment includes support of WNPR and the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. If you like to eat, drink, and be merry, you're in the right place. Faith here with your welcome toast. It was Yogi Berra who said, you better cut the pizza in four pieces because I'm not hungry enough to eat six. Please feel free to consume this show podcast in one bite, two bites, or oops. I ate the whole thing. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops. Welcome, everybody. This is the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. I'm Chris Prosperi. And I'm Alex Province. We're sitting in for Faith, who's away, but we'll be back soon. We're also joined by our regular Food Schmooze contributor, Mark Raymond from Frederick Wildman & Sons, and senior producer Robin Doyen Aiken, who is actually going to turn the (laughs) fader up and join the party. Hi, everybody! (laughs) There we go! There we go! (laughs) This week, we're giving Faith the week off and filling the studio with man food, beer, and Father's Day stuff. We're going to do everything this hour but burp out loud. Though Phil, the brewmaster from one of our favorite local breweries, is here with samples of some great Father's Day beers. So no promises about the burping. But before we get to that, drum roll, please. The Fooch Moose Martini Competition is a week away. Robin, you have some people to thank? It's time for some shout-outs, guys. All right. We want to take a moment to recognize the wonderful bars and restaurants who've signed on to compete and provide lots of good food for us to nosh on to soak up all of those innovative <laughs> cocktails we'll be sampling. Yeah. I can't believe it's a week away. I know. I know. One week right around the corner. So on behalf of Faith and everyone at WNPR and CPTV, because it is a fundraiser for our show and the benefit of all of WNPR, huge thanks go out to first a few of the places that make New Haven such a fun city to eat in, Olia, Ordinary, Shake Shack, Elm City Kitchen and Cocktails, Mm -hmm. and Tavern, all in New Haven and all participants in the martini competition. It's going to be a great day. It Mm, is. It really is. There are a number of restaurants and bars right there at Foxwoods that will be providing food and drink for us, and we certainly appreciate it. Hard Rock Cafe, Atrium Bar and Lounge, Central Fox Tower, and View 24. Nice. Also, huge thanks goes out to these guys, Shamard Vineyards. Yeah, Faith nice. loves them. Oh, yeah. Max, oh, Max Burger. Burger. Nice. Bears Smokehouse. And oh, they're in can't Hartford. wait to see them. I know. Great and barbecue. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Bear, also known as Jamie McDonald, yep. will be a future guest on the Food Schmidt. Very so cool. Oh, looking fantastic. forward to that. And another Hartford guy. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Peaches on Waterfront in Norwalk. Front Street Bistro at Spotlight Theaters in Hartford. Lucky Taco in Manchester. Hardcore Sweet Cupcakes. Wow. Yeah. Prospect Cafe. Bonefish Grill. Rooster Company. Nora Cupcake Company. Oh, yeah. I know, right? Save me three. If you are looking for me, just check those cupcake tables. (laughs) Agreed. You and me. There you go. (laughs) Maggie McFly's and Tavern 1757 in Seymour. It's a great lineup. All right. (laughs) Gotta be there. What are we wearing? Well, as Faith says, dress is festive or wear whatever you 
your life. That's it. <laughs> I've got to figure out a new hat. Everything. I don't. Oh well, it's going to be a surprise. Is it going to be bigger than last year's? I don't know if I want to go bigger. We'll have to look at pictures to see what he was wearing last year. He had to turn sideways to get through the door. I feel like after being at the cupcake table, we're going to have to turn sideways to get through the door. It's not too late to get your tickets. Go to ctmartini.org. We need your help to reach Faith's goal of dancing the night away with 1,000 attendees. Oh, it's going to happen. And remember, new location, right? New location. It's at the Mashantucket Pequot Museum and Research Center right next to Foxwoods. Beautiful. So this happens to be my first martini event. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to hanging out with... you are in for a trip. (laughs) (laughs) You stick with us. We'll show you the ropes. I'll stick with you and 999 of my other new friends. Um, I met lots of longtime listeners back in February at the Heart to Heart Champagne Dinner yeah, Dance. I'm looking forward to talking to some more longtime listeners yeah, and yeah. thanking them for supporting us. All it's an time. amazing event. It really mm-hmm. is. The probably, dancing is crazy. One of my favorites. Yeah, wait till you see the dancing. Is the dancing is so much fun. <laughs> well, my plan was I was going to indulge to the point of gluttony okay. absolutely and then dance yep. to work it all off work it absolutely. all off and then it's net zero right <laughs> check your fitbit and see how it's working out how many steps have you taken? calories in calories <laughs> out. oh doesn't it have something where it will like tell you maybe stop eating yeah. or, we don't want that at this point. with an electric shock i think <laughs> So one last time, please show your support for the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze and WNPR by joining us on Thursday, June 23rd from 6 to 930 for what Faith calls the party of the year. No question. Oh, yeah. Yes. Tickets at one more time, ctmartini.org or look for information about the event on our homepage, foodschmooze.org. All right. Now we're ready to talk Father's Day. That's right. Let's pull the so cord on the lawnmower. Yeah, it's... it's <laughs> no, no, no. It's, Lawn mower no, goes away no. for Father's Day. Come on. It's this Sunday. Let's go to Mark because, Mark, the kids are how old this year? My daughter's 15, and then uh, my son's going to be 12. Give us the day. Well, I get a little selfish on the early part of the day. I pick up my father, and we go play 18 holes of golf with my uncles and my nice. cousins. We get out early in the morning, but really what makes the day special and I drive my wife absolutely crazy with this. Because and you're allowed to because it's Father's Day. Exactly. <laughs> is I have everybody come back afterwards with their wives, daughters, sisters, everybody. My sister comes over. My father-in-law comes over. And we do a big barbecue. Everything from lobsters and ribeyes to barbecued ribs to whatever the treat may be for that year, and depending on what the budget will be. We just, we figure out what the menu's going to be, and quite honestly, I don't have it just yet. Time's running out. We've got to nail it down tonight. We definitely got to (laughs) nail it down tonight. Um, But it's always a great day. I always invite way too many people, but in my world, it's my Father's Day. The more, the merrier. I just love to be surrounded with great friends and family. That's what makes the day special for me. That sounds like what your typical Father's Day is like. Robin, how about you? Yeah, well, you got, Chris, you got gonna... dad at home, right? Yeah. Your, your husband and the kids, are, are they planning Absolutely. already? Absolutely. Well, we have a small smoker. That's really what Father's Day is about for us. We start even sometimes the day before. Because if you're going to smoke, oh, yeah. uh, you're not just going to do one thing of ribs. Like we do ribs, we do chicken, we do as many things as we can fit into the Take smoker. Take advantage of Low, it. Yeah. low temperature yes. all day. 
day cooking. Yes, yeah. we've gotten better at it. So when we first got the smoker, we would sometimes eat at 10 o'clock at night because mm-hmm. we didn't realize. <laughs> Almost done, kids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's Father's Day. Yes, but now we have figured out how to actually time things so that we can have ribs at, you know, say 5 o'clock or something. Mm, so absolutely. We'll, we'll do ribs, we'll do chicken. My in-laws live right next door to us, so my husband Steve does the smoking. My father-in-law comes over. We do corn, strawberry shortcake. It really is for See? us a holiday about eating. Yeah, it, it, is, it, right? it, it really food is. Holiday it's now, a food holiday, say, right? for sure. For sure. And yeah. we want to hear at home what you guys are doing, too. So post Absolutely. on Facebook. Let's hear what everyone does. I'm curious to see because I like going out. And it doesn't have to be going out to dinner. It could be just going to the food trucks on mm-hmm. the wharf here in New Haven with my kid. Totally. To me, it's it a reminds... stress-free holiday. You know, yeah. There's no pressure. It's no pressure. all about doing fun stuff. To me, it reminds me of the 70s. I just think of all these gadgets that my dad used to get for <laughs> yeah. Father's Day. So we had, it was like a meat thermometer. You got like six of them. And you'd <laughs> stick them into a steak. Right, each steak yep. got, its, it got own its own little own thermometer. Like, thermometer. It's like a happy chef with a you know a chef's hat like a toque yep. that would be sideways, and okay. then as the meat became more and more cooked, it the would, hat like, would tick up. It would rotate into the upright position, and that's when the steak was done. Well, you had you know between rare all the way to like you know well done. Well done. I, I tried to see if they were still available, but I was laughing because that was remember when steaks used to be thinner. Like, oh okay, yeah, you know it's like a steak inch is like an half, inch and a half, inches. two yep. inches. Back then, I remember steaks as you you know, being like sort of these yeah. thin sort of like things, yeah, yeah. you know, and I just envision this inch. meat thermometer going through the other side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's done already. Too funny. Uh, well, Robin put a list together for us of some favorite what could be Father's Day gifts. And the first one I'm going to read off because I absolutely love this one. And it's Ziggerman's Bacon of the Year Club. Ooh. Right? Oh. And it's a different bacon every month. Who doesn't yeah. love Right? Bacon. And who wouldn't love to see that come in every single month? I know. Yeah. Oh, wow. Apple smoke. Yeah. Kentucky dry cured wow. bacon. Irish style. Yeah. For $400 a year, every month, Zingerman's famous mail order place. Awesome. I love when there's a Zingerman's box on my front door. There's everything. You get artisan bacon plus bacon stories. I don't know really what that means, but... Can you eat them? <laughs> <laughs> yes, they're on edible food. Yeah. History bacon and recipes flavor. every month. Bacon and, and then good perfect. stuff to do with it. The local one too, right? Nodines from Goshen, Connecticut is in there and Nodines, right. this is a good transition mm-hmm. to our next gift and I love this one too and that's beef jerky. Oh, yeah, horrible. so I was Who doing a search Father's Day foodie gifts things like that to see what, was, what people were interested in this year and I I kept seeing over and over again jerky. And I'm like, wait a minute. This is a huge. Man food. Yes. <laughs> jerky is huge right now. And yes. I don't, maybe it's because, you know, I'm a child of the 70s. So to mm-hmm. me, I have an association of jerky being like gas station Slim Jims. Oh. I know. I know. Oh, I know. oh my gosh. So, oh, much so much different. So much different. I don't get out much. That's, that's what it is. Oh I don't God. get out much. So no what di- am I missing? No Dines has what I find to be, and I've been eating their beef jerky since the 70s because they've been around forever. And yep. they have the most amazing beef jerky. You get a quarter pound of it and it comes in this felt bag that has their name on it. And I tell you what, it is the best. It's got 
like a hot pepper burn. Like a saddle bag, like yeah. you're on the range and, and you reach into the bag, oh you pull out some beef jerky. And I'm telling you, you drive <laughs> driving to work and you're not. That's man food. So I'm telling that's you. the Father's. I could see why that's the Father's Day gift. So yeah, yeah. beef jerky. You know what? For me, jerky. I'm on the road a lot, and I mean, I travel from Harrisburg to Bangor, Maine, uh-huh. and there's nothing better than a good road snack, and jerky is the perfect road snack. Mm-hmm. I do beef jerky. This pepper style beef jerky of Nodines with coffee, with black coffee, and it You pairs. mean you're pairing your jerky? I am pairing my jerky, and I will, <laughs> on the way to cowboy. work, I will have a black coffee that fresh brewed from my house, yeah. mm-hmm. and I'll be chewing on a piece of Nodines beef jerky, and that's the way to go to work. And wow. <laughs> that's like, yeah. that's super old school, like cowboys used to cowboys. do that in the West. Ask, is that in a car or in like a pickup truck? Or... <laughs> that's in my pickup. No, no, see, now maybe I need to get a Online, I I bumped into this site. It's called jerkydynasty.com. And even just the title of this offering that they had, it's called The Ultimate Everything Jerky Pack for Father's Day. And, you know, Chris said beef jerky a few times. Mm -hmm. But listen, beef jerky is the least of what is in this pack, this (laughs) ultimate pack. Some notable offerings here. There's alligator jerky, both barbecue and Cajun style, Mm. Um, buffalo, garlic, and chipotle jerky, duck maple jerky. Mm, hun- that sounds good. Maybe Alex for you, honey ham smoked jerky. Mm, my favorite. <laughs> venison jerky. Oh, I know a lot of people that make their own. Hunters up in Goshen, Connecticut. Oh, yeah. Make their venison, own venison, venison jerky. jerky. Yum. Well, Love to try that. Wild boar jerky. And um, speaking of wild, there was also ostrich and kangaroo jerky. <laughs> wow. So really any meat you can eat, I, you can turn yes. into jerky. jerky yeah. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> even if I tried jerky, I don't think that the wild stuff really is for me. But, um, you know, I'm willing to try. Uh, yeah. Sounds you never very know. like Australian. You never know. I don't like to miss a good food trend. So That's I, right. That's right. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because Father's Day, I always think of the dad cooking, whereas on Mother's Day, mom isn't allowed to cook. On Father's right. Day, like dad is cooking. I grew up with certain things that I, my dad cooked so well, like my dad made the best oh, pancakes yeah. or waffles. And so this would be, you know, the one time of the year that I'm exaggerating, but that he would be in the kitchen making awesome, you know, take out the waffle iron and make the best waffles. Okay. Yeah. I Jonathan love I love being at the grill on Father's Day. For me, that's like the place where everybody comes. So you get to talk to everybody because they're coming up. Hey, what's on the grill? What are you cooking there? Oh, can I have a little piece of that? You know, it's mm-hmm. just the place to be. And it's just, I don't know. I've always had comfort in front of the grill. It's just yeah. a, a and, happy and place. You know, now that I think about it, I'm going to do some oysters on the grill. See, that I love too. I'm going to do some oysters. On, some clams, blue points from Connecticut. Right? Clams, oysters. Yeah. So freshly mussels. shocked. Don't grill. even have to shuck them. Just they put open. them right on the grill yeah. and they pop open. You take the half off and then yeah, you take a little lemon. cilantro lime yeah. butter and just a little dab in there. Ooh. And you don't eat them fully cooked. They're just warm. So it's still like eating a raw oyster, but it's just warmed up. And that little butter or lemon on top, heaven. Absolutely. Same thing with clams mm-hmm. and mussels. Putting them on the grill. Yeah. Yep. So I also found on Food & Wine, I top 20 Father's Day gifts, and a couple stuck out to me. And I want to know how you guys feel about getting any one of these. So an Emile Henry pizza stone. Homemade pizza is another thing that I associate with my husband doing. Yeah. yeah. He's famous for his pizza. So. And those pizza stones are pretty effective. You yes. know, as long as you mm-hmm. have an oven that can get up to above 400 degrees, Put them you in get like that stone good and hot, and yeah. boom, they're yeah. done. Yeah. I and use ours for biscuits, too. Yeah, I, was I don't say, just and they're use good it for, for roast, Even if you're going to do a roast chicken on it, I mean, they're good for other things besides yeah. pizza. Mm-hmm. So that's a good one. Yeah. 
There was a stovetop smoker from Cameron'sCookware.com, and then also a smoking gun to infuse mm. cocktails. The smoking with gun is vegetables. cool. I have one, yeah. and they're really fun to use. And you can just take whatever, put it in like a bag or under a bowl, and you put your little smoke gun under mm-hmm. there, and you just trap the smoke under it. So they're yeah. fun too. Yeah. Huh. And then a splurge of a cooler from Yeti. It was this Ooh. cooler that I found online. It was more than two hundred dollars. The claim was that it keeps food cold for ten days in the sun. Nice. <laughs> and I'll I was thinking, you. if your dad is out uh-huh. in the sun for yeah. 10 days, it's worth $20 a, a day. <laughs> yeah. he's, in, hees in the doghouse. <laughs> I'll tell you, those Yetis, they make the cup coolers. And if you put iced coffee in that, you can leave it out all day long and there'll still be ice in it at the end of the day. It's amazing. amazing. And hot mm-hmm. coffee, you'll burn your mouth like three hours later. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'm a slow <laughs> learner, so it'll take me half a day. <laughs> and of course, for the beer lovers, there's home brewing kits. We'll ask our next guest about that happy father's day everybody (laughs) now can we mow the lawn (laughs) more mouth-watering conversation and fun is coming up ahead on the faith middleton food schmooze this is usually the time of the show where faith asks you to make a charitable contribution to feed the hungry if you do consider giving your time or treasure to hands-on hartford they're local they feed more than eight thousand people annually and they help the neediest among us including children and seniors we'll be right back Okay, hope that first bite of the food schmooze felt like a hot biscuit with butter coming your way. Feel free to tell your food-loving friends worldwide they can enjoy the show and our online site at foodschmooze.org. Here's your second bite. Cornbread said, now that's all right. Meet me on the corner tomorrow night. I'm Chris Prosperi. Alex Province and I are sitting in for Faith while she's away. If you don't already know, the Food Schmooze is also a podcast. To sign up for it, go to foodschmooze.org and look for the little tab that says Get the Podcast. It's right under the search box. Click it, then hit subscribe, and every week, the show will automatically show up in your podcast feed. Sign up once, and you're done. Listen on your schedule. Listen in the car. Listen while you cook, because we go with everything. Aside from Alex, I'm in the studio with Mark Raymond from Frederick Wildman and Sons, senior producer Robin Doyen Aiken, and the first of two special guests this hour, award-winning brewmaster Phil Markowski. Phil is the author of the book Farmhouse Ales and has a long career in the craft beer making industry. He's currently brewmaster at Two Roads Brewing Company in Stratford, Connecticut. Phil, welcome back to the Food Schmooze. Thank you. It's great to be here. So it's Father's Day time. What better time to talk about beer and all the different mm-hmm. kinds of beer you oh, can yeah. get in Connecticut? Yeah. I consider myself a beer drinker, but I still get really confused at all the different kinds of beer and the styles. Can we start there? Like loggers. Yeah, loggers, ales, IPAs, Heffenweissers. 120 and, minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can you give us a quick, like, two-minute breakdown on the different styles? I'll give it a shot. Okay. I don't know if I can cover all those questions, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, beer's been around for a very long time. 
somewhere in the order of six, 7,000 years. And in the past couple hundred years, beer has evolved perhaps more quickly than it had throughout its previous you know, thousands of years of history. You know, nowadays, one of the most common questions I get asked as a craft brewer is, what's the difference between ale and lager beer? Mm. That's one of the classics. That's the start, yeah. You know, lager brewing only goes back about 170 years ago. The basic difference is fermentation temperature. Ales are fermented at a warmer temperature, call it room temperature. Okay. And lagers are cooler, typically in the 45 to 55 degree range. In order to ferment beer at that lower temperature, you need a a yeast that can work at that temperature. So these yeasts were first isolated about 170 years ago by German monks who, you know, back in that time, most of the beer brewed in Europe anyway, was done in monasteries. And so they isolated this type of yeast that worked at a cooler temperature. And they discovered storing beer in caves for a long period of time, which were naturally cool, created a crisper product in the end. They realized this was the result of a certain type of yeast. So they isolated this yeast, and that coupled with the invention of mechanical refrigeration, where brewers could brew year-round regardless of the outside weather conditions, whereas traditionally they had stopped brewing for the summer months. Now they could brew year-round, and they can control things, the conditions more precisely, and that led to the industrialization of beer. And it also helped in the process in general. So they were able to produce lighter colored malts and produce a lighter colored beer, mm-hmm. which was revolutionary at the time. The style that took the world by storm was Pilsner beer. Okay. It originated from a town in the Czech Republic called Pilsen, and hence the name Pilsner beer. But it was really German breweries who took that idea and that technology and spread it worldwide. Notably here in the U.S., the large industrial brewers that are with us today were all started from German immigrants, basically, who came over brought that style of beer with them. And that's what you call like a pills? It's shorthand. The Germans tend to use the term pills, and the Czechs tend to use the word pilsner. So lager would be the main category of this type of beer, and then underneath that would be pilsner as one of the styles of a lager beer? Correct. Pilsner is one type of lager beer. What are some others? Just a Bach beer. Okay, so that's uh, another lager style. Oktoberfest beer. There are other lagers, Vienna lager. There's a bunch of different ones. But really, the difference is fermentation temperature. And at the cooler fermentation temperature, it produces a more crisp product versus an ale. Okay, and I was going to say, now take us to the IPA land, because that's the three letters that we hear most when we're going out, and there were servers are coming up to us and bartenders and saying, you know, we have a great IPA on tap. So-and-so IPA. Yes, and and everyone's making an IPA. So what is an IPA? Originally, the acronym IPA stands for India Pale Ale, and this was originally developed in Great Britain, say, in colonial days. And at the time, brewers understood empirically that a stronger beer, higher alcohol content, and with more hops, which are a natural preservative, tended to make the beer last longer. So they brewed a special pale ale to ship to the British troops in India. So hence the name India Pale Ale. And it remained a style in Britain over the years and became one of the main styles that U.S. craft beer brewers embraced. And now it is almost entirely American because every craft brewery brews one. And the definition is constantly changing. We have single IPAs, double IPAs, session IPAs, regular IPAs. So they're ubiquitous. And and ale would be the category, right? The method of production. Okay, the method of production, just like lager was on the other ones, right? And then Indian pale ale would be one style of an ale. It would be under that umbrella of of ales. And the one thing they all have in common, IPAs, is they have that quintessential taste, right? It's like a bittery sort of hoppy 
taste. Yeah, the, the main <laughs> ingredients, the traditional ingredients in brewing are water, malted barley, hops, and yeast. The malted barley provides sugars and body. Mm-hmm. You know, Not all the sugars from malted barley ferment into alcohol. Some remain in the beer, and that's where you get body and color. Malted barley is really one of the main ingredients next to water. And then hops are kind of like the seasoning. So hops okay. are a plant that grows a vine and the flowers from the vine are called the hop flowers and they're used to bitter beer to give it its characteristic bitter flavor but also to give it aroma and flavor okay. depending on when it's added during the process very cool so two roads has some of the most creative beer names i've ever seen <laughs> it's like you've got rosemary's baby rosemary's other baby workers comp road to ruin 20 ton ale Kentucky Lightning, like Con as in Connecticut, C O N N, uh, Philsomic Brew. I'm guessing that has something to do with you, Phil. Yes, reluctantly, I, I <laughs> allowed a beer to be named after me. But so yes, we we are guilty of using puns. You know, it's all part of the fun. And craft brewing is a fun thing. It's a local thing. You know, our name Two Roads is derived from the Robert Frost poem, which has a multitude of meanings in our philosophy and how we we operate Two Roads. Hence the road theme in a lot of our beer names. names yeah. And we do oh. open the beer naming process to all our employees. We send out oh, very a group cool. email and when you come submissions. Up with the new one. When we come out, okay, here's the product that we're yeah. going to do. Do you have any names to suggest? And then a storm of names come in and <laughs> we have to distill I'm it sure. down to, to <laughs> you know, one of them. As you're drinking them. Do you win a prize? <laughs> Just the bragging rights, yeah. I think. It's, it's prize enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Two Roads Brewery, you have a bunch of the beers that you have all the time, right? And then specialty and seasonals that come out yeah. at different times? Well, craft brewing these days, the consumer demands a lot of variety and a lot of changing mm-hmm. variety. And we're up to the task. I mean, one of my favorite things about brewing is creating new recipes. We have no shortage of variety. We have eight beers that we do year-round that are produced, okay, all the, always yeah. available. Very cool. Um, and then we have a number of seasonal beers available throughout the season. One of the beers that we're going to taste today is called Bergamonster. It's a higher gravity wheat beer that's Delicious. flavored with bergamot yeah. orange. Yep. Pour yeah. some of course. So. <laughs> All right. Don't just hold it up, Alex. <laughs> Let's start with the Pilsner, right? I oh, think the, the pills. The old factory? Yes. Old factory. All right. Old so factory. is this like your main beer? It, it's one of our beers that we started, we opened with, mm-hmm. and it was a conscious decision of ours to brew a lager beer because a lot of craft breweries do not. They focus exclusively on ales. Why is that? Well, lagers, they take longer. Okay. Typically, a an ale will take 14 to 18 days, and a traditional lager beer will take 28 to 35. So, so it's time. So it ties up a tank. You could do two batches of ale in the time it takes to do one batch of lager. So that's a big part of it. But, you know, we felt that a good solid lager beer was underrepresented in the craft field. Yeah. So we led with Olfactory Pills. It was Very one of cool. our... It's delicious. And it's yeah. based on the German approach. You have yeah. Pilsners in the north of Germany are different than the south, and Pilsners in Austria are different yeah. than they are in Germany and Czech Republic. So they all have their own identity. But they're all so refreshing, and that's what I think oh, I yeah. like about it and why I gravitate towards those styles of beer is they're, they're the refreshing summer beer. So for my Father's Day beer, I think that's what I want. After mowing the right? lawn. After mowing the lawn. That's right. Is that that would be a beer? Well, it's you Father's would have Day. You've, you've got to delegate that to someone else somebody. to mow yeah, the right. lawn. That's right. <laughs> Remember the chairs with the webbing in them? Yeah. <laughs> the collapsible aluminum chair. They didn't make them with cup holders back then. <laughs> no, so they gonna, didn't. So we're moving on. Or the road to ruin. So this is a double IPA. 
I'm always looking for, as people arrive, I love to have a good, crisp, fresh beer. And so what would you recommend for this Father's Day weekend? You know, there are different beers for different moods. And, right. you know, you being a wine guy, you might resent this statement I'm about to make. But, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure I will. Uh, th- I think nowadays beers offer way more flavor matching possibilities with foods than wines do. I mean, not taking away from wine pairing and food. I mean, it's a classic art. Absolutely. But, uh, in this country, we just haven't been exposed to, until recently, to the really vast variety of flavors possible with beer. And here in the States, and particularly in the craft beer industry, there's new and different flavors, combinations, non-traditional ingredients being used. There's so much variety out there. But nothing really beats a Pilsner for, say, an aperitif, where you've got it to whet the appetite it's a beer that's great to drink on its own. It's refreshing because it's hoppy and yeah. it's got yeah. great balance. It's right. crisp. So it's really the world's go-to beer as yeah. a Pilsner. Yeah. When, and, when I use the term back porch wine, you know, like when we're sitting on the back porch, it's a hot summer day. You want a crisp white wine for that, you know, or a rosé for that. That's where Pilsner for me fits in. Absolutely. Right? That's the kind of beer you and, want to drink. And to your point on the food and beer pairings, I agree with you 100%. You're yeah. seeing all over the place now beer and food dinners popping up all yeah. over the place. Restaurants are doing that like crazy. And chefs are having fun because we do wine dinners almost blind now because we've done so many of them and it's easy for us to pair wines with beer it opens up so many new possibilities for us that you couldn't go to for wine craft beer is almost like a cocktail you guys are able to use ingredients like coriander and different things that i think wine guys are sort of limited you're actually creating something novel and new yeah so tell us about like ingredients that you would use that are different for beer making you did mention the beer we called pilsamic which was a beer that we made with balsamic vinegar wow oh wow and it doesn't sound like a combination that could remotely work in <laughs> uh-huh. any way, but it did. I and can think of food to serve with it, though. Besides salad. Yeah. 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 <laughs> See, that's what people immediately Chicken. think of salad. <laughs> now, now, Robin mentioned something earlier about sour beers. Would that be yeah. a, a it, considered it fits in, in that this realm. category of sour yeah. beers? Is that a trend? Is that new, or it's always been around, and I just never heard of it until I started doing my beer research? It's one of those what's old is new again things, mm-hmm. which is once upon a time, every town had a brewery on New Haven had multiple breweries, and now that's becoming the case again. Sour beers have been intentionally made that way for hundreds of years in parts of Europe and have been made continuously and nearly went extinct and now have been embraced by primarily U.S. craft brewers. Now they are popular with the aficionados. You know, they're not by no means a mainstream thing, but I could see that being the case in five years or so. And producing sour beers, you kind of run against what you've been taught. Brewing beer requires strict sanitation and cleanliness, but when you're producing sour beers, you're doing the opposite. You're trying to um, encourage stuff to grow. I was thinking anyone who's ever tried to make beer in their closet with one of those beer making kits knows this, that there is some things that you have to be really careful. I think my first two were... So I'd be good at it. (laughs) Yeah, you probably would be good at it. My first two weren't good experiments. So the sour beers have a lower pH. You can taste sourness. You can, and that's where they flirt with a wine in terms of flavor composition because they have this notable sourness to it. And, and good food pairing, I'm sure, it, right? Because of the, the acidity. Again, it works well as an aperitif, and those beers work well 
in and that is vinegar what and they're using to make them sour? Are there like citruses or other things that they use to make them sour? Usually it's lactic acid that's okay. produced by the bacteria that's so cultivated natural. to make these sour beers. So okay. it's it's a natural acid and it's a more mild tasting acid than some, than some others. Right. Um, acetic acid is the acid in balsamic vinegar and all sorts of foods like ketchup and you know yep. things like that. In beer, a small amount goes a long way. It just gives a very different complex character. And just as in many cases, there's old world examples of beers that are made that way, have been made that way for centuries that, that we picked up on. So I just want to know more about the brewery because I'm looking at a picture of it and it looks like a fun place to visit. Oh yeah. A very fun place to visit. And it's very large. We have a tasting room that can accommodate 200 plus people. We're open six days a week, closed on Mondays, but okay. the tasting room's open from noon to 8 or 9 p.m. All right, so what about a day Father's Day excursion? Good? Open uh, on Sundays? We're open Sundays. Open starting Sundays at noon, from... so. I see bands and big yeah. windows. Trucks Food and trucks? Stuff. So Food we can trucks. eat too? Absolutely. If uh, Lexi, you're listening, this could be my Father's Day excursion. Who's going to mow the lawn? <laughs> you know what? The lawn will be okay one week. That's right. That's right. Well, right off exit 31, up 95. Yeah, and, and I see you everywhere, too. I mean, from West Hartford to Winstead, right, all the way down to here to New Haven, you're available in most stores. First and foremost, we want to be a local brewery and give Connecticut its place in craft brewing. We want Connecticut to be a respected. For we sure. want to do our part to make that happen. Yeah, cool. and you a lot of great breweries in Connecticut. There's over 40 breweries. Whereas Going back a few years 10 years ago, there was ago, yeah, what, five? Maybe. Five is probably about right. Wow. That's wow. amazing. You guys are doing a great job. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks very delicious. much. I really enjoyed being here. Yeah, so. Thank you. Beers thank are delicious. You, we love the local here on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, and there are plenty of local breweries to check out right here in Connecticut. Two Roads has tours, tastings, and trivia, and a comedy night. Firefly Hollow in Bristol, Robin's hometown, has food trucks and live music. If you got a favorite local beer or you make one yourself, tell us about it on Facebook. Search Faith Middleton. Please support your local food growers and food makers and beer brewers. For on-demand podcast delivery of the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze Party every week and to find Faith's food, wine, cocktails, restaurant, quick videos, and recipes we feature, we're always online talking with you at foodschmooze.org. After a short break, we'll talk Father's Day recipes with Lucinda Scala Quinn, the author of Mad Hungry, Feeding Men and Boys. There'll be steak and fried chicken and pie. Stay with us. have one more mouth-watering bite of the Fuchmoos coming up. Here's something great to know about. Sign up for the app called NPR One. Just download it from the iPhone App Store or your Android device. And once you do, you can set WNPR as your local station. Couldn't be easier. Download the free app NPR One and start listening. Let's party on more Fuchmoos. This is the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze Party. I'm Chris Prosperi. Wine broker Alex Province and I are in for Faith. 
We're joined in the studio by regular contributor Mark Raymond and senior producer Robin Doyen Aiken. Robin produced today's show, which you can hear in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, New York, including Westchester County, the east end of Long Island, and the Hamptons. The show airs on WNPR Thursdays at 3 o'clock and Saturdays at noon. Podcasts and Faith's curated recommendations are always available online at foodschmooze.org. Talk with us on Facebook to search Faith Middleton. Robin, set us up. All right, guys. Because Father's Day is right around the corner, we asked Lucinda Scalaquin, author of the Mad Hungry series, to come back on the show and talk about the first book in the series, Feeding Men and Boys. No one knows how to feed men and boys better than Lucinda, though these days she's feeding more men than boys since her three guys are mostly grown and capable cooks in their own right. Her third book in the series, Mad Hungry Family, is coming out this fall and available on Amazon for pre-order right now. Lucinda, welcome to the Food Schmooze Party. I'm happy to be here. Hi, guys. I feel hey. right at home. And <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> hey, yeah. we're hungry. Three boys. <laughs> Not yeah. enough men in your family. I get it. I'm the sister of three brothers. I'm a mother of three sons, so I feel like I have a new family right now in this very moment. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Lucinda, I feel like your book was written for me. Let me tell you, I have only one boy at home. He's eight now, but when he was born, I was recovering. He was having his first bath. The nurse brought him into me, and she said, your son was born hungry. And and he has stayed hungry all of the eight years of his life. So I really appreciate your book. The first line in the intro that I loved so much that really sums it all up is your quote that says, cook for the men in your life and teach them to cook for themselves. Hmm. And they will pass it on, which is what I've really seen happen with my brothers and my sons. It's this great cycle that's amazing and filled with so much more than just being fed physically. It's nourishment for the soul. It's just fun. It's been an incredible connective tissue in our family. Hmm. It really rings true to me, one of three boys, and my mom did the same with us. You know, she really did get us involved from start to finish by taking us to the grocery store. And then we were involved in cooking, which is how all three of us boys started and ended up in the cooking industry. I think it's just an incredible opportunity if you can grab hold of it and not look at it as some kind of burden and really use it as a lens through which to understand the world. Yeah, And I have a foster daughter who's 23 now, and every Sunday we actually cook together on Skype. I find myself saying things to her while we're cooking, and I'm like, oh my gosh, my mom used to say it. And I'm like, where did that come from? You know, it's so funny because last night we were cooking, we were grilling, and one of the guys was outside with me, and and I started to put my voice to stuff that's always going on in my head. And as cooks, you know, like how you move things around the grill or what you do that isn't written in a recipe. And I found myself babbling. And then I stopped and I said, honey, I'm sorry to drive you nuts. But while I have you here, I feel like I have to get all of this out of my head and into your head so that you can do it. Good stuff. Every man should know how to grill a steak. It's Absolutely. Just, you know, Absolutely. it's not, I'm not being sexist. I'm not, it's you not, know, I'm not stereotyping. Can we, can we just, can we address the whole sexist thing? Go ahead. I mean, when I started putting this book together people thought I meant like oh yeah cook for the men oh I'm gonna do it all no people it's just that this was my experience I had all these men and that's what drove it 
And as I say, it's not that I don't cook for women. It's just that they're usually not asking for thirds and fourths. So uh-huh. it's from that place that I'm coming from. <laughs> right. But I eat and my fellow sisters eat with as much gusto as the guys. So, <laughs> so having said that, I'm going to go full on boy talk eating now. Yeah. All right. So speaking of cleaning up, do the guys help clean up too? Yes. But you know what? I'm going to tell you, while they're great cooks, it's just a constant pain in the you know what. Yeah, we're messier cooks than women. <laughs> and we do eat. My mom loved all my friends growing up. And then and had her favorites, and her favorites were the guys that ate the most. Like, oh, I like Jimmy. He eats a lot. Okay, maybe I kind of like your mom. And I don't know how to not cook a lot of food. You know, and the other thing I just want to point out here is we're always constantly wanting to have fresh food, good food that we can afford. And sometimes it's really about budget. And that's huge when you're cooking for a lot of people, especially around a holiday like this. You're putting a picnic or a barbecue or something together. You have to think that way, how much you can spend for how many people you have to feed. Mm, Sure. A lot of the recipes in your book do feed, I notice, six to eight. (laughs) (laughs) Or three boys. (laughs) And then I double the recipe. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you know what? The steak was probably one of the best steaks I've had in a long time. It was awesome. And it was oh, marinated. So good. You know, the, that big blast of red wine, it soaks it all up. Hanger steak used to be the kind of steak you would buy because, you know, you weren't going to spend your money on the ribeye. But nowadays, hanger steak is taking more import. You know, of course, the price has gone up. It's got super flavor, but texture-wise, you want to break it down just a little bit with the acidity of the red wine and the mustard and the Worcestershire sauce. Also, a simple, simple process. So you've got red wine, Worcestershire sauce, Dijon, a little bit of sugar, which takes that edge. And then you're just marinating it and cooking it properly, obviously. I like to bring my meat out and get it as close to room temperature as possible. Absolutely. Yeah, me too. Because then if you think about putting cold meat on a grill or into the oven, it seems like it's got to sort of steam before it even gets to temperature where it can caramelize, which is what you want, right? I think it cooks more evenly, too. Yeah. You want that because that's what's yummy. It's like crispy and golden and yummy, and and then the juiciness and the flavor. That's what we love. But it was (laughs) so tender, Chris. Whatever you did, it was so, so tender. This will work with London broil, too, you write, right? Or even sirloin. Oh, yeah. If you've got a flavorful, almost less tender cut sometimes, you hit it with marinade. Or if you're going for the ribeyes or the New York strips, you don't need much but salt on those babies and knowing how to cook them. Right. It's like meats that are sliced like this are more fun for me because you don't have a huge steak on your plate. Yeah, it's true. And then, of course, if any human in this world gets a leftover, which I never do, you can make a sandwich or a salad. (laughs) There were were no leftovers today. No. (laughs) Yeah, okay. We're all on the same page here. And then we made the fried chicken because... Oh, that was my favorite. But it's not that hard to do at home. I always made fried chicken by long marinating in buttermilk. And so I got some chicken. Then I had to go drive three kids to soccer practice. And as I was coming back, my youngest son, Luca, was like, I'm hungry. Can I get a slice of pizza? And I said, no, we have chicken. He goes, well, can you make fried chicken? And I said, no. It takes way longer to make good fried chicken. He goes, come on. So I thought to myself, all right, I had 45 minutes. I'm going to make fried chicken that's just as delicious as the fried chicken that I've made that sits around in buttermilk. Well, you succeeded because it was phenomenal. Thank you. I think that when you put a lot of acidic Tabasco sauce into your liquid where you're marinating, even if you can only do it for a little bit, it's not like you're making spicy chicken. You're bringing some sort of zing to the underlayer before you coat and fry. And nothing's better than cold fried chicken the next day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's what's great about a hot holiday weekend is you can get up early or do it at night and you can fry a heck of a lot of chicken and then you can just have it the next day for a picnic put a big platter of Mm. room temperature fried chicken out hit it with a little salt and it is delicious and you don't have to be sitting there frying at the last minute 
always reminds right. me of like Cary Grant in those movies, <laughs> eating a on a blanket, eating a chicken wing or chicken nut. You drum. know, that's actually a pretty good segue because people are always asking me. You always say men love pie. Why do men love pie? I don't know. If you think back to those movies of the 40s and 50s where they like go to the diner and they go to the counter and they get like a slice of cherry pie and a cup of coffee, they're yeah. never going. Can I have a six piece chocolate bear cake and a cup of coffee? It it's looks always like, like a slice of pie and a cup of coffee. Looks like you had a bad day. Let me serve you up a slice of pie, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, really, the reason that I that I was drawn to your strawberry rhubarb pie in the book is because Mark had said that that was one of the favorite things that his mom used Absolutely to make for him. Absolutely, one of my all-time favorites. You are so clearly with right. So utterly unscientific evidence, I pretty much think that men love pie. It's true. Uh, I, yeah, I've yeah. never refused pie. The crust, just people, don't be afraid of crust. Everyone's so afraid of crust. So so help us, yeah. because I'm one of those people, even though I'm a son of a pastry chef, and oh, I should goodness. know how to make pie dough, I cannot make pie dough. I've worked for a long, long time in test kitchens, and I think that a lot of pie recipes out there are too short. And by that, you know what I mean, guys. Yes. It's like there's too much fat, and you have to be so masterful to not have a big mess on your hands if you don't know what it you're like doing. It, like, melts, right? right? Yeah, it melts, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, shoot, it won't come together. So the first thing is you're working cold and you're working fast. So the basic pie dough recipe that I use is just flour, salt, butter, and water. And I get all those things except for the salt cold. And then all I do is take that cut up butter and dump it into my flour salt. And then with my fingers, I'm just kind of like, you know, pushing that flour and that butter between my fingers. Now you can use a flour cutter, you can use a fork. But it's just easy as heck to just mush it a bit until you have kind of like pea-sized pieces or a little bit bigger. Because don't forget, those little pea-sized pieces are the things that once you have your dough are going to be hit with heat. And then they're going to puff up and that's flake. That's how you get flaky pie dough. Now, you have to remember that if it's dry, you're going to suck up more water. And if it's humid, you're going to suck up less water. So you don't just dump the half a cup of water in. So that's seasonal, right? It's not just seasonal. It's also where you live. You could be up in the mountains in Colorado. You know, you could be in those swamps in Louisiana. (laughs) So then you take, I would say, the majority of your water, but not all of it, and just kind of trickle it over the dough. And then even with my fingers, I'll kind of still just toss. I distribute that water around. And then I take my hands and I go in like I'm making meatloaf or something. Yeah. You know, I squish it together. And at that moment, I can tell if my water's right. Like, is it sticking together or is it not? Then I go squish, squish, squish with my hands and push it together. This is the game changer. You take out a piece of plastic wrap and you put it down on your counter. And then you pour what is sort of a ball of dough, but it could be still a lot of loose matter onto that saran wrap, right? Mm -hmm. And then you bring up the sides of the saran wrap and use that to get the dough together. And then you actually take the saran and tighten it, wrap it, and then smash it down with your hand and even take a rolling pin and roll it a little bit, stick it in the fridge. See, that solves all my problems. mm -hmm. You think you're going to have to have it all into this beautiful ball before you flatten it and put it in the fridge. But no, use that saran wrap to help you get it to where you want. Because the other thing is you don't want to overwork pie dough. If you overwork it, how do you know? Well, I'm guessing you want to, like anything, practice. We've had pies we love where overworked dough has happened. So it's not the end of the world. It's just going to be a little bit less flaky. That's all. This particular recipe, this basic pie dough, it's really hard to screw up. You're talking to three boys. (laughs) Well, it's so funny because my son son called me on the way here and he was like, 
uh, and don't go telling people it's easy to make pie dough because yeah. it's hard. And I, and I said, it isn't hard. You just have to remember right. a few little details. I'm gonna it's try. easier I'm now. Gonna, I'm going to try again. I've got two new tips because I always try and I always get a little closer with each attempt. But I think this might do it. Refrigerate yeah. or freeze everything just for a little bit to get it really cold. Yeah. And then the plastic wrap to sort of pull it all together. Once you roll it out, I always struggle to get it into the pie pan. And I know there's oh, a trick okay, with well, the roller. Okay, so now this is now... a comedy routine watching Alex and I make pie. So dough. what we have, what we have is we have dough that is in the fridge that we are assuming is in sort of a flat disc. We've gotten that far. Okay. Bring that out about 10 to 15 minutes before you're going to roll it, so that it comes to temperature. And you want to have a lot of flour nearby to really flour your surface. I mean, honestly, I've done this on boats. I've done this anywhere, and. I've made so many pies in so many weird places that half the time I don't even have rolling pins and I'm like cleaning Using the a wine, wine bottle. bottle. <laughs> yes. Or a beer There's bottle. nothing wrong with that. 101 yeah. uses of a wine bottle. This dough is so forgiving, this particular dough. Obviously, you roll and don't forget to keep putting flour on. You just want to keep flouring everything and then you'll be good. You want to make sure that you're, you know, a good inch. Like so surplus. Surplus, exactly. And then, you're right, you take your wine bottle or your rolling pin, you roll your dough onto that as if you're rolling back up foil or saran wrap, and then okay. drop it on your pie plate and unroll it. Assuming you got to the fridge with your dough in the condition I hope you did, then I really think you're going to be able to do the rest of it, guys. I've seen I that do. part done literally a thousand times, and it looks much easier yeah. than it is. And you know what? you got to keep flouring your hands. Yeah. you got to oh, no. keep flouring your I, I, hands. When you said flour, for me, I have to have the dust buster there, too, right? Because well, I seem it's to everywhere. overflour because, yes, I'm wearing it. It's on my shoes. <laughs> but, you know, the thing about I'm going to just say this. Nearby. In this era of like quick fix thing about pie dough is it really is time spent doing it once you get it down you're the hero in every setting the fact that you can just bust out a pie oh is yeah insane. absolutely uh, this is a challenge for all of our <laughs> I, listeners out there who are intimidated huge... by making pie it's father's day make him a try pie it. this year i'm gonna try i really am because you know what i usually do and i hate admitting this but i do i usually buy the pillsbury dough in the supermarket everybody thinks because i'm a chef i make the pie dough i put it on a board and i put a lot of flour down and i roll it out a little thinner and then i make my pie and i usually do that the same day so people see the board with the flour on it so they automatically wow look he really did yes. make the pie but no i bought it and then flour on the yeah Oh, wow, that pie. It's like, cheated. Oh, I cheated. <laughs> Wait, well, there's something else I have to say. So you go through all this business, whether you're shortcutting, faking people, or you're making it. When you get that pie out of that oven, you need to let that rest longer than you think. When you cut a slice of pie, you want a slice of pie. You don't want a pool of pudding after mm -hmm. what right. you've just made. Right. And what's key to that is that you really let your pie cool. Alex, give us an idea of what else is in Lucinda's book. There's so many great classics. There's chicken cooked every which way, my favorite glazed ham. My dad used to eat chicken and dumplings. I would love to try mm. that braised short ribs and chilies and soups and sweet potato fries. And mm, there's looks like there's stuff. some Italian recipes and even some Spanish stuff. There's awesome. a lot of ways in this book to love your men and boys with food. <laughs> yeah. I wanted my family to experience cooking as something you come home for. I just want to say, if anyone wants the three recipes we talked about today, they're on the website. Just have to go to foodschmooze.org. And that's for the steak, the chicken, and the pie with the pie dough that I'm even going to try. Lucinda, well, thank 
thank you so much yeah. for coming back to the thank Food Schmooze Party. Totally. And when your book comes out, Mad Hungry Family, will you come back? It would be my absolute pleasure. Thank awesome. you so thank much. You. Happy Father's Day. Thank you. The whole gang wants to thank Lucinda Scala Quinn, author of the Mad Hungry series. Feeding Men and Boys was the first book in that series, and Mad Hungry Family will be out this fall. Check out more of Lucinda's recipes and get information about her books on her website, madhungry.com. Also want to thank Two Roads Brewery brewmaster Phil Markowski for sharing his Father's Day beers with us. Alex, thanks for being my partner in crime here. Thanks also to Mark and Robin. Listen to the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze on WNPR Thursdays at 3 and Saturdays at noon. Weekdays, listen to Faith's fun 60-second food schmoozes and join the conversation with us. We're always online, or at least Faith, Robin, and Alex are at foodschmooze.org. From WNPR Studios in beautiful New Haven, I'm Chris Prosperi. Everybody eats when they come to This is the place to enjoy the richness of life. Sharing our local and national discoveries with you makes me want to get up in the morning. The gang and I hope you'll come back soon and often.